0: The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org. Well, good morning and happy new year. Who's excited that 2016 is gone? I thought there'd be like Roris, like standing ovation and everything. You're probably thinking like, well, I was until the youth pastor showed up to speak. First, that's rude. <laughs> Secondly, it's partially true. You're talking about the guy during sound check found this out. So. <laughs> I think we need to pray. Can we pray? Can we open in prayer? Heavenly Father, God, I pray that we simply know that your presence and your spirit is here. God, so I pray that as it falls, God, that it would rest on our hearts and rest on our minds. God, I pray that you would bring something fresh and something new from your word. Uh, God, knowing full well that it's from you, God, so I pray that we receive it. Also, I pray that we feel uh, no shame in knowing that our 2017 resolutions are the same as our 2016 resolutions. In your name, amen. So, statistically, 70% of you in this room made a New Year resolution. And so, if you're like me, maybe your last minute, you were doing it, like, last night, like, literally before midnight. Uh, but 30% of you didn't, and that's okay. You're God's blessing because uh, you're perfect. Um, but, <laughs> but, it, but it's kind of shocking to know that only 8% of that 70 actually succeed in their New Year's resolutions. And so I've kind of taken on this over the past four years that my New Year's resolution is to be a father and a better father. And so I'll be honest with you. I kind of set it really low. (laughs) So so 2013 was like, have a kid and learn how to keep him alive. (laughs) That was 2013. 2014 is like, avoid ER trips with new kid. Um, And then 2015 and 16, just repeat because I had another kid. Um, And so I've come to this kind of conclusion that I've got it kind of under my belt and I'm good. So for 2017 to be a better father, it's this, avoid having third kid. (laughs) (laughs) So you can hold me accountable. (laughs) My wife is in here somewhere, uh, so she's probably shaking her head. we have resolutions, and this is kind of uh, we're talking about father, fatherhood, and that's kind of my resolution. But, but if I would say the word father to you, there'd be many of you in this room that you might say, like, you know what, when you say father, I, I, I feel good. I feel better. But there might be some of you in here that when I say father, you get a little bitter. Because you have this realization that maybe... You know, you're in here and your father was or is your hero and he provided for you and and he kept you safe and he protected you and he's a role model in your life. But there's some of us in this room that that's not the case, that we had a father that just wasn't there. Or maybe we had a father that was present, but he wasn't really present. Or maybe you carry around the hurt of having a father that really neglected you or even abused you or mistreated you. The honest truth is every single one of us in this place, we all want a father figure that we can say, my dad can beat up your dad. Like all of us. I know we laugh and we joke at that, but we all do. I mean, uh, the honest truth is I want to be that dad for my kids. Not that I'm going to beat up any other dad in here, but I want to be that for my kids. That's the father that I want to be. And and thinking about this, I realized that uh, every father has this kind of inherent trait that's like, I don't want to let my kids beat me at anything <laughs> like and I've realized that I, I I probably like made my father proud and also upset him at, at the same time because I, I was born 11 pounds 13 ounces as Pastor Dave alluded to he went and found the biggest person Um, which is a weird being introduced he's big he's big <laughs> I get it all right um yes the air is cooler up here um 11 pounds, 13 ounces, and I was two feet tall at birth. And my mother is also in the room. I apologize. Sorry, Mom. Um, <laughs> but there's this funny story where my dad is, is standing, kind of looking at the window, looking at all the babies laying there, and he's with another dad. And The dad's like, oh, man, that one's mine. And he's like, which one's yours? And my dad's like, that one. And he's like, how long has he been here? <laughs> And so instantly this pride in my dad that's like, yeah, like I helped in making that like beast of a child was probably overshadowed by like, he's gonna be really big. And if you knew my dad, he was a very competitive person, a passionate, driven person, but again, very competitive person. he'd be like, he's gonna beat me at a lot of things in life. Uh, So I'm happy to say that uh, my two kids, although they are very large, they're both born 10 pounds, And, and Maddox, they're both off the charts, but Maddox, the doctor, was like, he's going to be about six, five, six, six I'm like, I'm 6'7". Yes. <laughs> we laugh. and We joke. But the truth is, again, we, we want to say about a father figure, my dad can beat up your dad. My dad can protect me. My dad can, can provide for me, can make me feel secure and make me feel safe. That's the dad I want to be for my children. To i I'm going to be as long as I possibly can. But here's the honest truth. I have limits. As dads, we have limits. And some of you can relate. You're thinking about the moments in life where you've seen the limitations of your father. And it's hard for me to swallow that pill knowing that I will not always be the father that catches my kids when they fall. Because I have limits, whether the passage of time or in and of my own weaknesses or my own failures or shortcomings. And so in all of this, with this in mind, talking about fathers, where do we turn? And I think you know where we're going with this. But we've been in the book of Isaiah here, and we've been going through the teachings of Isaiah, who was a prophet of his time, someone who heard from God and delivered that message to the people. And this was a very unsettling time. And Isaiah received this word from God over the course of, kind of four kings of Judah. And the first of them, Uzziah, he was, he was a good king. And he treated his people well, and he, and he ruled well, but kind of towards the later end of his reign of, of 52 years, he, he was confined to his palace because of sickness. And during this time, he put his son Jotham in charge. And he kind of governed the day-to-day. And so when he eventually passed away, his son took over, And he was a good king as well. And so Judah has this 60 years of reign of of, of a good king, a wise king. And then all of a sudden you have this next king in line, King Ahaz. And he's not like his father and he's not like his grandfather. And he just kind of ruins the kingdom. First and foremost, he has no awe or fear or reverence of God. And he's a selfish king. He doesn't know how to properly lead the military. And so we're talking about a a people and a nation that that frankly fear the future. They think that that all this harm that has been done can't even be repaired. And in the midst of this time, Isaiah receives this word that he gives to the people. In chapter 9, verse 6, it says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting. Father. A Messiah is coming. A savior is coming. And he will be the everlasting father forever. And so I think you and I, we kind of understand this, but not completely because we have a problem with the word everlasting. Being inherently creatures of the physical. We have a spiritual being, but but mostly we only are concerned about our physical being, that we are confined to the constructs of time. And ultimately, that's where we put a lot of our faith and trust, is in our physical. But we're talking about an everlasting father, the one who created space and time. The everlasting father who, who stepped into the physical, being a being of the spiritual to save our spiritual selves. This being, this everlasting father, exists outside of our physical. Therefore, he is not contained by the constructs of the physical the constructs of our time. And so we put ourselves in the mind of the rising and falling of kingdoms throughout the ages, and this is the everlasting Father who will come and sit on the throne and, f- and, and reign as a heavenly loving Father. And this is the revelation that Isaiah is trying to give to the people. And it's the same revelation that he's giving to us. Because the honest truth is, we look at the times back then, and we look at them now, and there's really not too much of a leap to get where we are now. Being in a nation divided, a world divided and falling apart that needs hope. And so how do we apply this revelation to our lives? If you're taking notes, I encourage you to write this down. It's simply this live victoriously. And I get it. That kind of sounds like a pep rally talk, right? It kind of sounds like, let's win one for the team, guys, is like We Will Rock You plays in the background, training montage, like, that's what it sounds like, and it sounds good. But here's the truth. It's impossible. We can't. Welcome to 2017. (laughs) We can't. Because every single one of us is born defeated. We have a nature inside of us called sin. And we're born with it. And sin is everything that is the opposite of God. God wants us going in this direction towards him. him, And sin wants to drive you in the opposite direction. The worst part about sin is it wants to take you in that direction without you even knowing it. And so we're separated. Sin wants to leave you to be eternally separated from God. But thank God, literally, that God himself stepped out of the spiritual and he came to the physical in the form of Jesus Christ, his son. And he went to the cross for every single one of us. He took on the penalty of our sin, the penalty of our death. And on that cross, he defeated our problems by proving his power over it. So we fast forward to to the book of Romans, and here we find uh, the Apostle Paul. And he's writing to the people of Rome, and he's trying to to explain to them, look, we have this thing called the good news, the gospel of what Jesus has done for us. And we need to accurately know how to, to tell people about it. And so if you're going to tell people, if you're going to take it to the rest of the known world at the time, this is what we need to know. And we find this in Romans 8, 31 through 32. It says this. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? So here's the thing. Yes, God is good. And yes, God is for us. So here's what I want you to take away from this passage of scripture. If you continually think that God is out to get you, like God is out to punish you for your sins, you will always and consistently run away from God. But when you know that he is for you, you will run towards him. And here's the thing. God is not struggling with your sin. You may be struggling with your sin, but God is not struggling with it because he's already defeated it. And so just the simple knowledge that God's not up in heaven going like, oh, your sin, your sin, your sin. No, I've, I've made a way for you because I am for you. So just bring me your sin. And so everlasting father means that we have a forever victorious king all the sins collectively. And so secondly, to live victoriously, we live victorious over sin. Scripture tells us that our God is a God who was and is and is to come. And so first and foremost, he is the God who was. This means that you don't have to look back, that through faith, you are made a brand new person, That when you come to God in humility and reverence before him, seeking his forgiveness, he forgives you and he makes you a brand new person. And so the only reason you have to look back at your past life is to know where God took you and saved you and where he brought you to. To encourage you and to fuel your faith. It's the only reason you have to look back. Being the youth pastor, I'm, I'm very passionate about this, especially when speaking to our students, that, that I, I honestly think the hardest part of the gospel, the hardest part of faith, it's not your devotion, it's not your discipline, it's, it's not like how much I pray and how much I worship and how much I read scripture. Those are, those are all things that we need to apply to our life, but it's this, do we actually believe the gospel? Like in the moments Do I actually believe that I am forgiven and made a new person? Because if you don't, if you go to God in humility and reverence before him and you ask for forgiveness, if you leave that moment not knowing that you have been changed, in essence, what you do is you walk away from God's forgiveness. And that is a harsh reality. So first and foremost, with our faith, we have to know that when we come to God, we are changed. Yes, there are physical consequences for your actions here on earth, but spiritually, you are a brand new person before our everlasting father. And we need to walk in that knowledge and in that understanding and in that belief. So we live victorious over sin because we believe that God has, he will, and he always will be victorious over our sins. So what do we do with this victory? What do we do with it? I want to give you two complimentary thoughts this morning. The first is this, to live victoriously, live as children of God. Paul continues to write in Romans, and he says this, The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. Now, now for a second, ladies, like, don't worry. Like, in this time, Paul's speaking to the times where only sons were given heirs to the father's uh, uh, property and such. But we continue reading. And by him we cry, Abba, Father, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. So, even under Jewish law at the time, a servant in the house, a slave in the house, could not call the head of the house Abba because you had to be a child. And so, Paul is contrasting here basically look, your relationship has changed. Through faith, you have been changed. You are now a son and a daughter. Of God. With that comes your adoption. And so we have to understand some things about adoption. There might be some of you in this room that, that you are adopted, and you kind of understand already what this kind of means. There may be some of you that are walking through that process, or you have adopted a child. But in this moment, talking about adoption, a, a child receives something. It receives a parent. It receives protection and someone to provide for them and take care of them and love them. So first and foremost, our adoption into the kingdom of God is from God. There's nothing that you can do in this life to to make you more adoptable. And I think I probably made up a word, but like you can't do anything extra and and you can't do anything to keep you from it. You, You just receive it. Adoption is from God. It is a free gift for you. And so we receive it. It's crazy to know that this is written into the DNA of who God is. That it's just simply who he is. He designed you for adoption. Who was, who is, and is to come. You were designed for adoption. Secondly, adoption is through Jesus It's kind of cool to know and understand that Jesus himself was adopted. That he didn't have an earthly father, born of his heavenly father, as a baby to a virgin mother, that Joseph had to adopt Jesus. Again, written into the DNA of who God is. He designed you for adoption. And so what we take away from this is adoption is just as valid as biology. If you're going to adopt a child, it is just as valid, even legally just as valid. You become the guardian, the parent of that child. And so our adoption into the kingdom has been planned since the beginning of time. Third, adoption is to share and show in his inheritance So when you're adopted into the kingdom, when you begin to understand what it looks like to live victoriously, your life is a testimony to God's love and grace. And so our job is to live our lives in a way that honors God, to show those around us, our neighbors, our coworkers, other family members, our children, what it actually looks like to honor God and to live victoriously. And it's in those moments that that God God works through stories and he crafts stories, because people are looking to see how you respond to the moments that hurt you, to people that hurt you. There's people out there, they're gonna say bad things and you know it, they're gonna hurt you and they're gonna do bad things to you. But all of a sudden, when we put on the lens of God, how we view this world so differently, that it's not just people, those that are without faith, they're, they're, they're not just people, they're, they're sons and daughters just waiting to be adopted. And how differently we would view those around us if we actually believed that. So it's to show in his inheritance. Lastly, to live victoriously, we must live secure. Paul is like so excited when he's writing this down. They actually coins this phrase, hooper nikeo. And so with this word, kind of translated means overwhelmingly conquer. We have the prefix being hooper, which is above, and and the verb being nikeo, which is conquer. And you you kind of take that down to the root word. It's it's Nike. You're like, oh, wait a second. (laughs) Like, yeah, yeah, the swish. Conquer. So, my prayer is every time you see a Nike swish, you see shoes, you want those shoes like you think like, "Ah, oh, Romans eight <laughs> I'm a youth pastor, I'm sorry, like tangent or coming back. I love this phrase overwhelmingly conquer because it's it's present tense, the word conquer it's not just you you you, you will conquer or you're going to conquer." Someday, No, it's now. Overwhelmingly conquer Now. And then we keep reading because that scripture tells us this. It says, through him who loved us. It's past tense. Even furthermore, proof that God had this in mind, not even just from your beginning, but from the beginning of time. That through Jesus, he loved us. Us, so that we can conquer now. So I want you to imagine this. Imagine you lived a life where we actually grasped this, believing full well that in reverence and humility before God, that when we're forgiven of our sins, knowing that Jesus defeated our sins, our past sins, our present sins, and our sins yet to come. Faith is a process. Knowing full well that we are children of God that can live victoriously through the challenges, through the hurdles, through the hurt, the pain, the sorrow, and the joy and the celebration. We live victoriously. What would that look like for you and your home? in your marriage, in your relationship with your kids, with your family members, with your neighbors, with your coworkers? What would it look like to live victoriously at school, students? What does it look like to claim it? In response, I wanna ask you this. For all of those that you've never made a decision for Christ, you know, you're hearing it and hopefully that you understand it, that God's presence is making it clear to you that, look, you've tried, you've tried to fight your sin on your own and you've come to this revelation that I can't, I never will. You can't defeat sin on your own. You can't defeat temptation on your own. You need the victory of Christ in your life. My encouragement is to simply say yes receive it. It is a free gift. To be a son and daughter of Christ, it is a free gift. So would you receive it this morning? And secondly, for the rest of us, you know, you've made that commitment. But the honest truth is we struggle with it. We struggle with faith. We struggle actually believing that we are forgiven. We struggle with living victoriously. And I wanted to ask you to make a commitment this morning what would it look like right now if I committed to living this life, if I walked out of here this morning and I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that I am forgiven and I'm set free from my sin. And from this moment on, God, I'm not going back. I only want what you have for me, what's ahead of me. If you would make that commitment, what could your world look like? What could your relationship look like? your home, your neighbors? What would the kingdom of God look like if we all made that commitment this morning? So would we take a moment right now? I just simply want us to pray. The spirit of God is here, the presence of God is here in this place. I want us to take a moment, just quiet ourselves. There's nothing else we need to do, there's nowhere we need to go, just quiet our spirit. And first and foremost, would you pray? Would you make that commitment to God? And secondly, have a moment where you just listen. Just listen to still, small voice of God. Would you pray? Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church, located in Hagerstown, Maryland. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.